I guess let's get started. Yumi, can you introduce yourself and tell us who you are and what you do? Sure. Um, my name is Yumna Sahar. I'm a second year Master of Journalism student in Ottawa at Carleton University. However, I am from Newfoundland, from St. John's, uh, which is where my parents and my brother still live. And then I'm born in Pakistan. So tell us a little bit about your background. Like we tasked you with the New Canadians episode, but there was a reason for that, right? You have a professional right. background in that field, right? Yeah, so I worked with ANC as a housing officer for a couple of months last year. Is um, early spring to late summer. And I, I got to kind of see firsthand how amazing the work that they do is, but at the same time, how difficult it can be. So I think I must have gone through like, my main job was to find housing and then to apply for low income housing and income support a year after like uh, newcomers had arrived. And so I must have done like hundreds of applications within those months. So is this mostly a desk job? Are you like sitting at a desk or are you like going to look at these places? It was a desk job. Uh, so we had two people working on it. Yasser, who was my supervisor, and he mostly went. And I think, honestly, the reason was because I didn't have a car. So it was just easier for him to go and check the houses out. So I did go like once or twice, but mine was usually the desk job. How many people would be waiting for a successful housing app like what was your sort of queue like so for the when they initially come in and they need a house that usually could go from a couple of weeks to a month or two during that time they would stay at a hotel however the the other part which was the waiting list for income for low income housing that could be like I think I must have only done one successful application within like the five or six months that I was there. So that could take years to get. Is that just the nature of the queue? Like there are a lot of people who are already in front of you applying for low-income housing? Um, yes, and I believe there were a lot of concerns and I still think there are about there not being enough low-income housing. So I know the government was trying to build income housing uh, last year sometime. Um, but it's just that there were a lot of people and there weren't enough housing to go around. Cool. Um, well, we're going to play your piece. Can you set it up for us? Like, what do we hear first? So the first, well, you'll hear me first, but then you'll hear uh, the Popol family, which they arrived from Awanasan last year. And they went through the ANC process that I would be a part of. Yeah, tell us about this family. So... They arrived last year, and it is their beautiful family of. They're a very large family, and they were very sweet. So, I have a translator with me doing that interview, and she's a good friend of mine. So she introduced me to them, and they were very sweet, very lovely, very like inviting, and it, it felt really nice to talk to them. But also, um, a lot of their the things they talk about are things I saw when I was working. So it's while their stories individual, I do think there's an essence of like relatability for newcomers who are coming in through that through that government refugee program. Okay. And you said it's a big family. How big is the family? 
I believe there are six, seven, eight. I believe there are either seven or eight people here in Nipahland, and then they have two sisters who are still in Afghanistan. And is it three generations? Yes, it's three generations. They just had um, a son, I think, in July when I went to do the interview, June or July. So it's like a one-month-old baby. And and so where did you go to meet them? I went to their house, um, which it is in St. John's, um, and it was... It was nice, like it was a very Newfoundland home. Um, we were in the living room, but we did go up to one of the rooms to talk to Popol's daughter-in-law, who just had the baby. Um, but it was it was a really nice home. It looked very lived in, like they were adjusting well. Imagine renting your first home. You're excited, nervous, and even a little confused about all the rules, regulations, paperwork. Now imagine renting a home in a new country, new province, where the rules are different, the language is different, and there's a housing crisis. What is that like? How do you manage? Who do you ask for help? That is what I wanted to find out. So I met with some new Newfoundlanders. Ahmed Bhopal moved with most of his family from Afghanistan last year. My friend Khushbah, who is a translator, and I visited them right before heading to Regatta. As soon as we entered, we were offered tea and the whole family gathered. What is your name? We discuss with Sanumde. Ahmed Bhopal. And what is your name? How many family members moved here with them? Okay. We start so total sombra mashumandi. Okay, and then the mashuma sarah Okay, so they said they have six kids with them here and the two of them left in Afghanistan. Oh, you want me? Okay, they said the two daughter is still in Afghanistan and they feel really bad about them because they left there and they came here and there is still the, like, the war going on, so. Are, there in, are they in the process to come here? Well, you can tell me that you have a little case of chocolate. Okay, so they're saying they didn't apply yet, but they are trying to apply for them from here. The Popol family arrived to Canada through what is known as the Government Assisted Refugee Program. This means the federal government and settlement agencies like Association for New Canadians will provide financial and social support for their first year. And was it was it difficult to learn about the the renting, how renting happens here? Is it different from renting in Afghanistan? Yeah, they're saying it's really easy in Afghanistan. You just have to go to the... Uh, property management uh, office and they will find your house in two, three days and it's really difficult to find a house here. So what do you do in Afghanistan? You just go to a... a... To a property management, I think, and 
they just find you a house. Um, How shocked were they about the struggle to find a living arrangement? It honestly wasn't as difficult for them, and and you will get some of that answer because A and C kind of took care of finding them a house, and they were lucky enough to find a house um, with a landlord who spoke one of the languages they spoke. So in their case, I think it was a little bit easier. Okay. It worked out a little better. But one of the problems with a lot of um, moving to Newfoundland, especially through this program, is that once your first year has passed, that funding that you get from the government just goes down and you're on income support. So right now, for example, there are eight or nine people living in that house. It's much easier to afford a house where all of them can live in than it would be next year. Yeah, and one year doesn't seem like a long time at all because you're yeah. dealing with an entirely new language. Yeah. Exactly. And like in their case, they have only one son who can really work. Um, and even he currently doesn't speak English and he will talk a little bit too. But um, so having that one provider within a family of eight or nine where the rest of the brothers are really young, they're still in school. Um, and they don't speak the language. So there is a lot of struggle. And one year definitely is very hard to find, like to learn how to speak, find a job, get that experience. It's it's not a lot of time. Yeah, and then to build savings because you need like a first month and last month, some money for bills. You would need, you'd want to have four or 5,000 at least at the end of that year ready. Like I don't, that's, yeah, it seems like what a hurdle. Yeah. Is the government paying right now? Yeah. Oh, much of it. Yeah, the government. And the furniture as well. Was that brought in by the government or did people from Newfoundland help patrons? We the course of man cut a murder. She didn't them that who come at the Kakudal to Halkudar. Okay. So they said that they found like secondhand stuff on Marketplace or Kijiji. And they bought it by like themselves, and they paid from the uh, amount the government paid them. So they said they did everything by themselves. So did they have to get like a car and go contact? What was it like contacting marketplace? Did someone help with the translation? Okay, so they're saying that they bought the stuff from Patan uh, person. He was speaking Pashto also, so it was easy for them to communicate with the the own marketplace. That's kind of cool. Like, I like how they're, I mean, that's what everyone does to buy furniture here, it seems, these days. And they, like, totally got the local custom of buying their furniture on marketplace. But they they had their individual, like, you're going to talk about the community, but they have, obviously, people who speak, is it Pashtun? Pashtun? Uh, So they speak Dari, but Pashto is a very similar language. And so they found someone they could speak to directly with no translator to sell them furniture. Yeah. Yeah. I do think the diversity in Newfoundland is uh, improving and that's definitely helping. So Pashtun people would, a lot of Pashtun people are from Northern Pakistan, whereas um, Dari speakers are from Afghanistan. And it's just, it's the two areas are so close to each other in geography that often families are, can understand each other. 
What's the community like, the Awani Pashtun community here? Are there a lot of people? Have they made a lot of friends? Okay, so he's saying that uh, they just met a few Patan people, but uh, people are saying that there is a lot coming from Afghanistan. What is that word? Patan? Patan, yeah. There are people um, from that northern Pakistan, Afghanistan area are known as Patans. But they have just two friends here right now. And have you met a lot of women that you've been friends with? Well, if you have a lot of people who are speaking, who's speaking now? Uh, that's the mother. So, Mrs. Pobel, Ahmed Pobel's wife. Okay, so the, first we heard from the husband, and this is... The wife, yeah. And about how old are these people? Like, what are they... They were definitely elderly. Just <laughs> above 65. I, I didn't get a specific age. And they're the oldest people in the house? They are, yeah. yeah. Just curious, like, why is it that only one person in the family can work? Is it a legal issue, or is it... No, I think the, the younger brothers are really young. They're in, like, primary to junior high school range, and the father is much older. Like, he could work, but he is, like, past retirement age right now. And then the wife is on would be on maternity leave because she has a baby. So ideally, it would just... And none of them really speak English. Yeah. Yeah, there there are barriers. Yeah, that's... Uh, no. Yeah. So the, the one person who can work is the oldest son or something? the oldest son yeah yeah he would be the only one and i believe he's like in his late 20s he's of that age that he could work full-time and it wouldn't necessarily affect anything else in his life and so we just heard from his grandfather is that right and his, his father his father we heard okay. from his father yeah. okay so we have the mom and dad who are at the top of the household the oldest and they're in their late yeah. 60s then we have the eldest brother in his late 20s i assume he's married He's married, yeah. He's married. Yeah. And then they have children? They have one son. One son. Uh, but he has, like, I spoke to two other brothers, but I think there's three brothers after him. Okay. And yeah. they're in primary and junior high, those brothers. Yeah, yeah. And then there's two daughters back in Afghanistan who have not been able to join the family as of yet. Yes. Okay, yeah, so uh, she said that she uh, found two friends here and they were really friendly and they went to park and um, make some tea and cake and went together and enjoyed the weather and tea. Uh, do you guys like inviting your friends here? Oh, okay. Yeah, they invited friends uh, twice for dinner so far. And, and what do they do? Describe one of the dinners. What was it like? How did it go? And they said they really enjoyed the meal and they talked uh, to each other and spent the evening together. It was really fun. What was the meal like? What did they cook? We said a pakkari. Okay, she said she cooked a couple of dishes, chicken korma, rice and chips and uh, some raita and some pickle chicken korma mera sabse pasandeeda how what were you saying there so i was saying saying i really like chicken korma they spoke a little bit of urdu so i think their family lived in Pakistani refugee camps for a while 
Um, and so they spoke enough that we could talk a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> talk about food, you know, the, talk about the important stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Manzur, Ahmed's oldest son, became a father in July. Even with a growing family, he says he wants to continue living with his parents and siblings. Um, have you thought about getting your own place? Or do you like living with family? Yeah. He, he wants to live with the parents together. Um, is he excited about learning English? What is What do you want to do after you finish learning English? English is a Yeah, he said he's really excited to learn a different language. And once he finished that course and he is good at speaking English after that, he will be do working here in the hospital. He was a nurse in Afghanistan, so he is wishing to do the job in the hospital. And um, do they know how long the government will be paying for this house? They work hard. Yeah, the, they said the government will be paying them for a year. What happens after the year? Have they thought about it? They said yeah, he's saying that he is doing studying the English language course. So once he finished that, after that, he will find a job and do the like house stuff and everything for by him, himself and for the parents too, because the parents are really old. So he said, I will be the only person earning. And is that a worry that in a year he'll have to pay rent, but also learning a whole new language? Uh, within a year to get a good enough job to be able to pay for this house. He said that I'm hoping I will find a job. <laughs> He's saying that the, like, they are praying, Allah will help them. How did the Popal family end up in Newfoundland? or Canada in general, do we know? They would have applied for a refugee status. I'm not sure if you get the option to decide what country you want to go to, but they would have definitely applied through Pakistan for that, yeah. And then Newfoundland, it's just an IRCC government. They kind of pick and choose who goes to what province. Did you happen to get the number, or like how much that house is going to be um, to rent? I did. I would have to go back. I think it was like 28 or 32, something like that. 3200 bucks a month? Yeah, maybe 2200 It was a big house because it was nine people living. Yeah. That's a lot of pressure on one individual. You, when we first talked about the story, you were describing like how the refugees from Afghanistan, their preference was to stay in these large family groups. And I think if I understood this correctly, there was some like friction between like a misunderstanding, like I think in a North American context, usually people, a 20 year old is going to want their own place. But it sounds like, well, he described it actually in the piece, the eldest son, he's like, well, I want to stay in this house. Is that is that an issue? Like nine people in this one house or? Yeah, so there is a cultural difference. So places like Afghanistan and Pakistan, families prefer living together. Um, there isn't a huge culture of old age homes. So usually the idea is you would stay with your parents and you would take care of your parents. And because the family culture is very different here in Newfoundland and in Canada, um, houses are often built to only accommodate certain number of people. So 
and there are rules and regulations about how many people can live in one room. So um, if I'm not wrong, up to two people can live and like a brother and sister can't live in a room after a certain age. So depending on how big the family is, that can be an issue. If you have like an even number of brothers and sisters, you might need a bigger house because each person needs their own room. So in their case, they're a little bit lucky in the sense they're all brothers. So they really can stay two people in per room, which helps a little bit. But I have like worked with people who were like nine people or even 18 people in a family wanting to live together. But there was just legally there was no way for us to find one house where they could live together. Um, and in those cases, we would try to find houses that are close to each other. The other thing here is also because the parents can't speak English. The younger kids can't speak English. They do need someone in the family who can, you know, who eventually will. So in Manjur's case, he's learning English right now. So eventually he is that that one point in the family that it's better to have him in the house and kind of help everyone else out rather than have like, if the parents were living in a different house, they'd be older and they would need people around them. It would be a bit more isolated in that case and yeah. unable to just sort of, yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting because I think it wasn't that long ago, like my mom grew up with her grandparents living in the house. Like we've only shifted out of that recently. And yeah, yeah. yeah. I do think we're kind of going back to that culture, especially mm -hmm. within like my peers, just because of how expensive housing is now. Mm -hmm. So the reasons are different, but people are preferring to live with family and kind of save up money so they can get a house. I also spoke to Kerry, the director of Ukrainian services at ANC. I worked for ANC during the summer of 2022. That was when the Ukrainian department was just starting. Unlike Ahmed Bobul's family, Ukrainians are not coming to Canada as refugees. Instead, Canada is expediting immigration for Ukrainians through a specialized program. My name is Kerry Murray. I am the Associate Director for Ukraine Services with the Association for New Canadians uh, in Newfoundland and Labrador. We have a team uh, here within the Ukraine Services Department of the ANC that provides a full wraparound support for Ukrainian newcomers when they arrive here. Um, many of them will reach out to us before they actually arrive to let us know that you know, they plan on uh, relocating, resettling in Newfoundland and Labrador. Um, as part of that process, we uh, engage, we, we, we have managers or settlement officers that would be their first point of contact. Our settlement officers will then uh, put them in touch with one of our housing officers and, and an employment officer to help find employment. I think the housing piece, we have a team of housing officers that uh, are extremely uh, adept and very good at finding accommodations in what is a very challenging market here in, in St. John's and across Newfoundland and Labrador. The province is experiencing a housing crisis. Has that affected finding housing for Ukrainian newcomers? The challenges um, in finding housing 
are are not unique to St. John's or to Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, affordable housing, public housing, social housing, transition housing, any sort of accommodation that is that requires public investment or requires public financial support to put that sort of infrastructure in place has kind of been neglected in our country or probably over the last 25 years. Uh, so it is challenge, you know, and then if you factor in inflation uh, on top of housing costs, uh, you know, the lack of uh, new build, new building, uh, new builds or infrastructure for affordable housing, uh, you know, the whole issue around supply and demand, it becomes, it's just difficult. It's a very, very tight market. Uh, and when you have people that are new from another, uh, you know, country such as Ukrainians, th- this is all new to them. They need help. They need assistance. They don't have any idea of the cost. They're, you know, they're coming here. They've been di- displaced from their, their home country. They have to find employment. Uh, they have to get their credentials recognized. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, you know, a lot of the landlords and property owners and property managers that we work with uh, recognize those challenges and, you know, and acknowledge, you know, that and that they want to rent to newcomers and as a as a preferred tenant. But, you know, they need to make sure that they have the ability to pay the rent, which means they need employment. These housing officers have deal with fresh, you know, new Canadians every day. Probably have known about the housing crisis you know, so far in, in advance. You know, so much earlier than... It's, it was definitely a topic of conversation almost every day. Um, but the other thing is there is a high turnover rate at ANC just the way there would be in any other, like, nonprofit or non-governmental organization. You mean for staff? For staff, yeah. Which, unfortunately, means there are new people coming in every couple of months. So you almost reset. Like, when I came in, I think I shadowed one day. I had a day of shadowing, and there wasn't exactly training. So it was, like, learn on the job. So um, I think because of that, it does take time and it's not I don't think there are any policies or there weren't any policies or plans in place on how to tackle things like housing it was kind of like you came in you looked at GGE and and eventually you would build contacts so my senior Yasser had contacts but if you were changing staff every couple of months or once a year then it was back to basically ground zero um, because this is a different program that um, uh, the Ukrainians came through on so they their visa is just expedited their visas are expedited so do they still yeah. receive one year of government assistance in paying rent no they don't so um, there are uh, places uh, and I think one of the interviews later on we'll talk about this but government has set up websites on where you can find jobs um, and stuff like that and a lot of especially initially last year when we had Ukrainian families move in 
um, it was the community, honestly. It was community that was hosting families. Um, it was community that was offering things. So it was a completely different experience compared to if you were coming through the refugee program. Uh, so then, you know, the challenges are not unique here. It's uh, it's just we work, we you know, it's just something we have to work through as a, a housing team. And... Uh, and as I said, we've been very, very successful in finding uh, not only accommodations, but getting, you know, establishing really good relationships and a good reputation of providing, uh, you know, solid tenants for landlords and property owners, et cetera, to put in their property. What has the response been like from Newfoundlanders? We look at uh, families that want to open up their home to Ukrainian families. Uh, you know, and there's a stipend there of a thousand dollars a month for the the family that's going to open up their home, and uh, you know, to make to help a you know, newcomer in there to get more settled or resettled in the community. You know, the family. The focus there is for the family to make them part of their social circle, their community circle, uh, their family circle, and. Uh, you know, help them become uh, a part of the community. Can you think of a specific instance when the local community support just amazed you? There are there are a lot. I mean, uh, when you, I guess, when you relocate, you know, when you move from your home country under these types of circumstances, I mean, it, it's tr- it's traumatic, and you end up in a new culture. Um, where everything is different, uh, the food is different. You know, the the the, the nor- cultural norms are probably a bit different. Uh, so, but I mean, for we've, I think the in a general sense, I think the the level of community support, the outpouring of community support here in in Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, for Ukrainian families is just unbelievably uh, overwhelming. Uh, we get calls, you know, not only to, you know for accommodations, uh, people that want to open their home and take in a family. Uh, I had a woman uh, contact me uh, yesterday to take in a family, uh, a Ukrainian family, with three dogs. And she said, I have a big yard. I have lots of space for the dogs and I have furniture and, you know, so, I mean, and we get people that donate furniture. We get people that we get local companies that uh, will call us up unsolicited and say, uh, we'd like to get a bus company phone up and take, wanted to take Ukrainians on a tour of Oakport, Newfoundland. They provided two buses, lunch, took them out around the Avalon Peninsula for the day. We had the local arts uh, uh, organizations here uh, offer tickets. Uh, we're arranging a for the um, hockey team here that plays at, at mile one. They're having a multicultural night in December, and, you know, they're offering tickets to everyone, you know, uh, you know to the ANC to distribute them free. To me, the response from the local community just seems to be a reminder of how important 
our role is in helping newcomers settle. Welcoming newcomers and making sure that they, you know, they they have uh, a, a, an amazing experience in that journey of resettling in a new country, a new province, a new city, a new community, with a new job, new schools for their children, all those sorts of things. And at the ANC, we we make sure that you know we help them on that journey. But also, I think without the the broader community here stepping up to do you know too many things that are they're too numerous to mention, uh, I don't think it would be uh, there would not be as many good stories. Is there a difference? Do you think Yuna in how the Ukrainians were received by the local community and how the Afghanistan, uh, com- you know, community of refugees were received? So when Awani refugees, or I know we're talking a lot about Awani refugees, but there are other refugees from other countries that have come in, like Eritrea. But when they started coming in first, I wasn't working at ANC, so I wouldn't be able to comment too much, but I do think... Definitely, there was more support for the Ukrainian community, um, which might even be why there was less of government support in terms of financial support. Um, and I think I've I've heard that the way... Wait, sorry, the, there was less financial support for the Ukrainians? Yes, yeah, they didn't yeah. qualify for the one year. Okay. Yeah. Right. So... Um, I remember when the first, like the first couple of weeks when Ukrainian families were coming in, our like we had so much stuff from the community coming in that was just specifically for Ukrainian families. Um, and I remember someone brought in like maybe like twenty bags filled with goodies, and we had them in the living room to try to send them to Ukrainian families. And we had a family come in, um, this mother with two kids who was not from Ukraine. She was like. I believe she was from Eritrea or something. Um, uh, and her kids were just looking at the bags. But the lady who had donated them had specifically said they were for Ukrainian families. Um, and so that was, for me, that was like, and you could see the kids looking at it. And I, and it just, that kind of broke me. And there were a few cases like that where it was obvious that there was some difference. Oh. Um, that's devastating. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, it sucks. I, I, I almost get the feeling that oh. I, I doubt that that person meant to exclude anyone, but just wrote on the bag or said, you know, the the, the Ukrainian situation is top of mind. And yeah, and the, it's just more like, what are we thinking about right now? Although I I think there's something to the Afghanistan story probably taking a very distant backseat. Yeah, I think definitely there's there are a couple of reasons. I think with the Ukrainian families that were coming in, there was a lot more media coverage and there was like, and so I think that partially helped too. But I, I definitely think people who were coming in and helping weren't necessarily thinking we only want to help one kind of people. Um, but it was more so that they were just more aware of what was happening in Ukraine and how people were coming in. Um, I think I spoke to one family who was taking in Ukrainian refugees and they said they didn't want to take in any Afghani refugees because there were language barriers, there were cultural barriers. Um, so I that was also another concern that people had was a lot of Ukrainians spoke English, uh, whereas a lot of 
non-Ukrainian refugees who were coming in were not speaking English. And I, I don't know how much of a role that played, but that was one reason I heard people say. <laughs> yeah, that story is really sad uh, yeah. with the bags. It's really, really yeah. tough. Um, yeah, but thank you for telling us it. Okay, let's hear mm -hmm. Vladimir's story. Do you want to tell us who he is, actually, Yumna? Sure. So Vla Vladimir moved from Ukraine, um, and he he actually moved to West Coast Newfoundland um, and Shoalbrook. And so he is working as a chef at Grossmorn Inn, but also he gets to live there. So it's a different kind of a housing experience where he's just living at when Weldemir moved from Ukraine, he moved to one of the most beautiful parts of the province, Shulberg. Uh My name is Vladimir. I'm from Ukraine. I'm 36. Uh, right now I live in uh, Shulberg. It's uh, on the middle of Glenburnie and the point. How do you like Grossmorn? Grossmorn is supposed to be really pretty. Uh, yeah, I really like this uh, nature. It's like amazing. They can have nice view, nice uh, sunset. Yeah, that's nice. great. I like it. I like hike here. Last uh, maybe six or seven years, I like to travel because I have some knowledge and I have this chance to travel around the world and see how people look in other side in other countries and I had a chance to study. How did you find this job? Yes, I look at online. I sent my CV in a couple places, but uh, and they sent my CV for government. Yeah, they sent my CV, government sent my CV for me and they text me and so, um, is this like a government program? Like, are you a government worker or this is just government finds jobs for people who give their resume? No, government just have uh, options. Uh, I don't know, maybe just for Ukrainian people. I'm not sure, really. Okay. But for Ukrainian people, they have options. You can send your CV and they try to help you because... Uh, they know which kind of stuff need for some restaurants or hotels or everything, and they try to help you. Where is your accommodation? How do you rent a place? Uh, no, right now I live in at the inn because I don't have uh, people I come in Canada. I don't have my license. Right. That's why I don't have options to drive my job. That's why I live at the inn right now. Oh, sorry. And and do you like living at the inn? Or do you want to move to a different place? Yes, sometimes, sometimes you want to have some little bit more freedom, more, you have more space. And, but sometimes you have nice options, for example, in wintertime. I have sun, I have hot dog, we 
I can go there, take a couple of drinks, and just chill and relax with my friends. That's nice. Nice. So basically, you don't have to pay the rent. You work there, and so they take your rent out of your work? Yes. I'm not paying, but in my contract, they have this option that uh, I have these benefits to pay for my appointment. Um, and do you plan on living uh, in the province for a long time, or do you want to like move somewhere else and have another adventure? I don't know. Right now, I would like to live here, and I don't have any plan to move uh, to live for a long time in another province. But mm-hmm. I don't know what happened after one or two years. Mm-hmm. Um. What are Newfoundlanders like? What is the community like where you live? Are they helpful? Are they friendly? Yeah, that's why I like this uh, province uh, because people are so friendly. I like it. And if you need help, yes, everybody try to help you. And maybe just for me, I don't know, but I have a feeling uh, nice here and you see, I'm from Ukraine. I left my country. I left my uh, parents, and here people help me to feel in much better. I'm left feeling that I'm alone here, and that's great for me because sometimes you need to feel in. I'm glad you found a great community. There's a housing crisis in the province, and in St. John's, where I live, there are a lot of conversations around housing. What are you seeing in Schulbrook? But you see, uh, I didn't understand people here. Why here, for example, in my area, we have a lot of house who's nobody using. And I don't understand why government don't say, okay, guys, you need to sell this if you don't use it three or more years. You need to sell this house or rent it for somebody. Because it's I hear from my friend that it's, do can't find some normal apartment or house here. But when you're driving, you see a lot of house where nobody living and you don't know why people not rent it. And everybody say, oh, we don't have uh, a lot of houses. We don't have apartments for anybody here. But really, if you check all houses, which one just stayed and nobody using, oh my God, you have a lot of uh, place. That ties in really tightly with Olivia's uh, documentary that we heard. Totally. Just like this guy's been here. How long has Vladimir been here? Uh, he's been here a year. One year and he like is instantly diagnosing <laughs> like housing <laughs> problem in rural Newfoundland. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty astute. Yeah. Is he working as a dishwasher or a cook? What is he doing in the inn? Um, I heard he was a cook, and then I asked him if he was a cook, and he said he wasn't a cook. So I'm assuming he just helps in the kitchen. <laughs> Your friends were looking for houses. Are they having... Is it the houses are really expensive, or they can't find housing, or is it like a mixture of both? Yes, it's too expensive. If you want to rent a house, it's minimum 20000 But you don't have anything around. You don't have uh, normal grocery. You don't have on winter time working just uh, one bar. That's it. 
he just has one bar within walking distance. Is that what he said? Or I think he said in the wintertime, there's only one bar to work at. Like there's not much work, so he doesn't know why prices are so high. Okay. And the work in Grossmorn yeah. is so seasonal that there's yeah. Uh, yeah there's no way for him to make the money to pay the rent that high. And I don't know why price so high right. because it's crazy because salary is not so big here to pay one thousand for house. Yeah, and is that like a one bedroom for or two bedroom for one thousand? Uh, it's two bedroom. Yeah, I know. Like a couple of years ago, my parents used to pay nine hundred for a three bedroom plus a basement. At yeah, the, you, in the middle of Saint John's. Yeah, you see, but for the last two years after COVID and uh, when uh, a lot of Ukrainian people coming in, uh, because I text with my friend and they say when we just coming in Canada, it's one year ago, for example. Uh, you can rent something, how you say it, for some for 1000 or maybe 30, 1300 You can rent something normal, uh, two or three bedroom, nice basement. Uh, but right now, it's minimum 15 or 1700 if you want to rent something. Maybe it's one or two bedroom. So do you think it's harder for newcomers now who are coming into this country and maybe don't have, like, jobs immediately and all of a sudden they have to pay $1,000 for a house? Yes, it's so hard for people who just come in because uh, that's great if they have some friends or they know somebody here who's helped them to find it. But if you don't have nobody, I mean, it's too hard. My last visit was to Adams, who has been a Newfoundlander for the past eight years. But that doesn't mean his renting experience has been easier. I'm heading downtown. It's a gorgeous day. It's nice warm weather, not the unusually hot one we've been having. There's a little bit of breeze. And I'm seeing all these beautiful red, yellow, blue colored houses that just define Newfoundland. But the house I'm going to today is a little bit different. It tells a different story. So I was going to meet Adam, who has, his story is a little bit different in the sense he's been in Newfoundland for about eight years now. But I wanted to see whether things always got easier once he had lived long enough in Newfoundland. However, his his house was in an awful state. The windows were broken and they had like a cardboard piece um, that was just placed where the windows would have been. And that honestly, as, as a Newfoundlander who lives through like winter every year, it shocked me that that was considered okay. I'm here with Adam and Robin, his good friend and neighbor. And can you describe this house a little bit for me, please? So this is a, a typical home uh, rented out by this landlord. The landlord told him to move out of the house, like didn't give him a notice or anything. And from then on, the landlord would bring random people into the house and be like, this is your new home. You can get this room. You can get that room. And there was like no communication. And part of that, which I kind of do want to highlight is 
it is hard a lot of the times for newcomers to figure out what help they can get where. So Adam did have some trouble. He doesn't have a computer. So he had trouble figuring out what the laws were around the idea of how can a landlord just ask his tenant to leave? He didn't know that he required a notice or anything like that. So that illiteracy almost was like, and I don't know if there's a better way to handle that. If if classes that newcomers are getting should also have some of this education in the background. But to me, who's been here eight years and, you know, things that I've taken for granted um, about renting a home. And so this was a really, really shocking experience. I was not ready for this interview. Like this, this hit social media, right? And that's a reason we found this house and went over. Yeah. So um, his friend Robin had posted a video of the house on social media. So this is one of his properties located on Cabot Street. Income support is paying him $600 a month. It has been for over a year for one room. Uh, The other room gets $800 a month. And the tenant was told a week ago that he had to be out, even though he had no notice. And now, his electricity has been cut. A couple of days ago, Miss showed up in a truck and dropped off five beds for a Sudanese family with a young girl to move in here. Today, with no window, no electricity, and this is what he's supplying them with. The landlord that he has, has had similar experiences with other tenants. Um, and so she was trying to highlight that and trying to highlight the conditions he was living in. And like, what was the deal with the mattresses? Like they, on Robin's video tour, they like go up there and they had, he, the landlord had like dropped off like four or five mattresses and just stacked them like in the kitchen or something. So I think by the time I went there, the mattresses had been figured out. Um, but the landlord was like bringing in stuff all the time and throwing away stuff. He was just trying to get Adam to leave because by then like Robin had helped Adam figure out that he just, he couldn't just walk. Like the landlord needed to give a notice. So he was trying just trying to find different ways to get Adam to leave by bringing people in, bringing stuff in, throwing stuff out. Taking out your window or not replacing it. Yeah. Yeah. Not replacing your window. Yeah. It was a very creative person, I guess yeah it was (laughs) i i i don't know how any of what he was doing was legal and he wasn't getting into trouble for it i'm on tender hooks here i'm very worried for adam (laughs) um there's missing windows we're sitting in the kitchen right now um there's missing moldings the floor is cracked um in many places um, holes in it um, there's various, there's no window in the kitchen. Um, there's, you know, uh, old appliances that barely work, mismatched furniture that missing, um, cushions. 
Um, it's clean, it's tidy, um, but yeah, it's pretty much looks like a destroyed house. I mean, there's a radiator there that doesn't look like um, it's covered in rust, it doesn't work. Yeah. So windows get broken a lot and instead of the windows being changed, um, boards go up over them. So the house next door that you and I stood in front of, that's a similar thing to see uh, with windows boarded up, but there's people living in those houses. Um, in some places they won't replace glass. They'll re just put up plexiglass in exchange, which is a major safety issue because you can't jump through plexiglass for a fire and that sort of thing. So. And what does that mean for things like the rain or mosquitoes, like general living weather that's not as beautiful as today is? Well, I'm pretty sure Adam spent the entire winter without a window. So, I mean, you can just see the rust damage that has come there because of it. Keep going, Miss Robin. I don't want you to cut the socket for it. Okay, what was Adam saying there? <laughs> so, um, they don't have a lock on the door. There's no lock on the door, so people would continuously come in. And I think during our interview, which may, might have been like 45 minutes, three different people sort of like knocked on the door, came in. And because the landlord was bringing new people in so often, he didn't even know who he was living with. Yeah. Like the day before he had someone move in. And um, and so, and I think... Wait, yeah. so, so Adam's still, like, it's not just like the landlord is bringing in new people and like junk and won't fix the place, but... Adam is still living here the whole time and just like has mystery roommates appearing. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what's happening. And, um, and Adam can't just get up and leave either. It's, it's, it is difficult. He was on um, income support, I think when we were having this interview. So he didn't have that kind of financial stability to just get up and find another house. Um, yeah. It's so fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. So it's it's leaving. I mean, it's obviously been causing the damage that we're seeing here on the floor. Um, that much moisture, you've, you've got to wonder about mold. So situations like that. The, the families that are coming in, the people that are coming in on a day-to-day -day basis, um, do you do you get any prior notice? Does it, is this something you guys not talked about when you moved? Not, not at all. I just he came here around 4 o'clock. He said, Adam, those families are moving or they are moving out. Is that it? And he didn't give you a reason or anything? No, or not even a notice. Like Miss Rabin, she teach me that thing. I didn't know my right that I have to have notice for three months. I didn't. Yeah, that's another thing. So you do legally have to get a notice for like a few Absolutely. weeks. Well, and especially because his rent is being paid by income support, that means that there's a, a contract in place that requires him to give three months notice that he has to leave. Not only that, his rent was already paid on August 1st by income support. So he was trying to remove Adam after his rent had been paid. And how does income support work? Do they give the money to so, him? It goes into his bank account, but they refuse to act as any other 
um, responsibility but paying the rent. So Adam, as a client of income support, can call them and say, I'm having problems with my landlord. He's not respecting my contract and they can they won't help. They will tell him to call the Landlord and Tenancies Act. And then, you know, for uh, myself and another community worker had to fill out his forms for him because the process to file a complaint against your landlord is not meant for people who don't normally file complaints. And how easy is to get that information on what form you need to get, what you need to do? You have a have, you have to have a computer, <laughs> number one, um, or you have to have a phone and then take a bus out to get the forms out uh, in Mount Pearl at the driver's uh, motor vehicle registration. And so for someone living downtown, I mean, they don't even know. Robin is his neighbor and almost and just, I guess, his advocate at this point. Is that right? Yeah, so Adam was a little bit hesitant to talk about his landlord for obvious reasons. He just, he was worried that his landlord would cause trouble. Robin talked about that because she had been standing up for Adam, the landlord had also, like he had also been troubling her. And so it was just, I think Adam preferred her doing most of the talking Mm -hmm. than himself. And he kept on telling me, he was like, put this, make sure this is on the show but I can't speak to it or like let Robin speak to it. Yeah, I think what's really shocking me about this is um, without an advocate like Robin, he would, you know, this completely unprotected. Um, it seems like a hole in the system so that people don't know the, aren't being taught the rules, aren't, be, it isn't being shared somehow. Is there a solution to that out there? Um, I I think Robin talks about it a little bit, but I think she was talking about how there needed to be a change, even with the way what income support or what housing could do. Like uh, they were paying, so income support was paying for the housing, but they couldn't interfere with any of what was going on. Um, and the money went directly to the landlord. So if something could like if they could have had a say, the government could have had a say, hey, you can't do this. Um, that would have helped Adam a bit more. You know, correct me if I'm wrong, but like, isn't part of the issue here for Adam that he was like employed by the landlord? He was employed by the landlord and that's when he got the house. He is no longer employed by the landlord um, or he wasn't during that interview. And the other thing that sort of Adam talked about just a little bit was a mistrust in government and the police. So he was he didn't trust and he went about about a friend who had a terrible experience with the police. And so now he is hesitant to contact the police, which itself is a problem within minority communities as well. They're less likely to go to the police. I've helped someone else through this uh, process a few times. And uh, it's I had to do everything. You actually have to serve your own landlord with their papers. And so, I mean, it's it's extremely difficult. Did you know about any of this before? No, I didn't, I, to be honestly. And thank you to Mr. Robin. Now I know, and I'm going to wake up this community. Like, I feel bad, like, again, about the kids' family. He drags them, like, in the night time, moving. And I, I thought, is that true? Happened to be, I tell Mr. Robin, I don't like, I saw the kids, I know them in name. Around 1 o'clock, I'm coming from downtown, moving for Onitia. It's not even safe. And he didn't give them the, the damage deposit. And she's a single mother. She's been suffering in Libya, and now she's in Canada, felt that peace. And here she is moving her furniture. The couch was here yesterday, Miss Robin's side. 
What kids so, are these? Yeah. Yeah, I'm just gonna explain. So, um, a couple of days before this interview, uh, his landlord had brought a mother, a single mother, and two kids at like dawn, like at a very odd time, and just said they were moving into this house, and these are two kids in a house like we've just described. Um, but they luckily ended up getting low income housing like the same day. So they moved to low-income housing. However, what Adam said was um, the landlord kept the advance that they would have given him. <laughs> is uh, is this setup where like the the money goes right from the government to the landlord's bank account? Is this the one that where they're getting like private shelter almost? That that's different. Is it's not like you know how you're paying they they get like a hundred, two hundred, three hundred dollars a night? It's not that setup, is it? Uh, no, so income support is like if you are below a certain income rate, you will. So th- what the government will do is they will provide for your housing, but they. I'm hoping I'm not getting this mixed up, but they will provide housing, but also they will like give you a little bit of allowance. Is how it works. Um, so that's what he's in for, and that's a lot of what I filed was income support for people. And honestly, like Adam speaks English, he's been here for a while. He is still better off than most people that I applied for because they they had no idea what was being done. I would be like, "Can you get me your social insurance number?" And they would be like, "It's is it one of these cards?" and and they wouldn't know what part of the application was done or how it was done, just because it is a complicated application, and you still have to either email it out like electronically. It's not as advanced as you think it is. Yeah. You either mail it out or you email it, and it's just it's. A, I think the process itself could be easier. It says sounds like it's as difficult. And um, my boyfriend is trying to get permanent residency, and it couldn't be more complicated. It couldn't be harder. You. Really Really need to have a lot of greed to like it's it's really hard and expensive and it's it, there's there's a thousand ways it could be streamlined yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. um you know like what's the end wh- how do you finish this story like what 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 are we supposed to think at the end of this you know what's your conclusion personally the thing with this story is that a lot of um the interviews were very different from each other all four of them really were completely different experiences but i think the big part is one community help helps a lot like Vladimir's experience is very different because he had good community support and especially for people who are coming from very traumatic you know countries or where issues are going on and so not having that community support can feel very isolating um, so that's the one thing, and I think Newfoundland is doing a pretty decent job with um, being a great community to people. And I think the other big thing is there are issues with the process that just need to be dealt with. And Adam aside, even like even the way ANC works or the fact that it's only one settlement agency um, within the province does affect the kind of treatment that refugees get because if like say a hundred people are coming in every month then you have like five or when i worked there were two housing officers for the whole province which was you know like people get left behind there were times when i had to just go to a different case and it just it's not fair to those families so but but the main thing was community and we could do better with the government 
could do better with like explaining how housing works, what your rights are as a tenant. Yeah, and I mean, for people who don't speak English as their first language, I mean. That's a different struggle. That's a huge struggle. Um, yeah, thank you so much for these stories. They're yeah, thank you. So you told me that um, your your landlord, you worked with him in construction and fixing houses. Has he ever told you, hey, why don't you fix some of this house up and I will pay for that? Wow. <laughs> You're dreaming, mom. I wish. <laughs> I'm just going to say we're dreaming. Might be one day. <laughs> limited series Lock and Key is produced by Olivia Ball. It's edited by Lou Quinton, and I'm your co-host, Andy Bullman. Music is by Jake Nichol, and art by the fantastic Shanley Pomeroy. A big thank you to Tom Baird and Sarah Swain. Justin Brake is the editor of The Independent, and for more in-depth stories about the housing crisis, you can check out theindependent.ca. Thank you to everyone who shared their stories with us over this past year. The Lock and Key podcast received funding from the Community Housing Transformation Center, the Center. However, the views expressed are the personal views of the author, and the Center accepts no responsibility for them. <laughs>